Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we trust in you even when life doesn't make any sense. Even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil for you are with us. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. Lord, I don't know what's going on with the people in this room. I don't know what's going on with the people at home who are watching. Lord, I know that there's no shortage of broken hearts. There's no shortage of disappointment. Lord, I pray that we would trust you, that we would hold on to you with white-knuckle intensity because you can turn things that are bad into something that's good. You can use it, Lord, to mold us and shape us to be the people that you want us to be. Lord, give us that white-knuckle intense faith that just won't let go of you no matter what comes our way. God, I pray you'd overwhelm us with your presence and your power. Lord, that we would know that you're still God and you're still in control and that nothing is impossible with you, that nothing is too difficult with you. Lord, I pray that we would shine like the stars in the heaven and that people would see the faith that we have in you and be amazed that no matter what, we won't let go because you won't let go of us. Thank you, God, for what you're going to do in this time together. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I'm so glad that you're with us today. I'm also thankful for everybody watching at home on the TV and on the stream. We're thankful that you're a part of the Sagebrush family as well. Just a couple of quick announcements I want to make before I get into the message today. One is, is that last Christmas Eve, we put out a Christmas EP, and now it's that time of year when you're getting your playlist together for your Christmas songs. We hope they'll, they'll include Sagebrush songs in there as well. Uh, we put this album together, and I don't know about you, but after Christmas, I don't want to hear another Christmas song for at least a year. I've been listening to Christmas music, though, for the past month already because my wife is addicted to Christmas music. We started about October the 1st. There's some other sick individuals here as well. Now, by the time December 25th comes around, I don't want to hear another Christmas song, but I love our Christmas album. So wherever you stream music, like and share that if you would. Listen to it. Put it on your playlist. That would mean the world to us. If you want to buy it, you can do that as well. But just by you liking and sharing it, that gets the message of Jesus out just a little bit further. We appreciate you doing that. The other thing is that last year we couldn't do our Christmas tree lighting, and this year we get to finally. So we're excited about that. Our Christmas tree lighting is right around the corner. going to be a lot of fun. As you can already see on the Riverside campus and all the campuses, really, there are already Christmas decorations going up, and it's a big reveal. We turn on all the lights. We read the Christmas story. It's, it's amazing. We have hot chocolate and cookies. Uh, there's going to be characters on our campuses walking around, lots of photo opportunities. This is a family-friendly event, so you sit in the service with your kids as well. It's going to be a great time, so make sure you take advantage of that if you, if you possibly can. All right, we're going to conclude our series today called Mixtape. And then next week, we're getting a brand new series called In or Out. There comes a point in time you've got to make a decision. We're going to talk about how to do that and how to be either in or be out because Jesus would rather us be hot or he'd rather be us cold, but he doesn't want us to be somewhere in between. He doesn't want us to be lukewarm. That'll take us all the way in uh, to Christmas Eve. But let's finish up mixtape. We're going to talk about parenting today. There was a woman. She was traveling internationally. She was traveling from France back to the United States. And if you've ever traveled internationally, you know you got to go through customs. And so she's standing there in line. And you got to know something about this young lady is that she has eight kids, all under the age of 10. 
and her hair is all messed up. She is absolutely exhausted. They've got 12 suitcases as well. And so they're edging up in the line, you know, waiting for their turn. Finally, a young customs guy calls them in. They're next. And so they all walk up together. She hands all that stack of passports over. And the guy begins to ask the typical questions. He says, first off, are all these kids yours? She said, yeah. He said, are all these suitcases yours? She said, yeah. He said, well, ma'am, do you have any alcohol, any drugs, any firearms, any weapons, any contraband? She said, sir, if I had any of those things, I would have already used them. <laughs> Let's talk about parenting today. Let's talk about the highs and the lows of parenting. Let's talk about the ebbs and the flow of parenting. Do you remember me sharing a few months ago the stages of parenting? Let me remind you, you probably slept since then. First stage of parenting is when the kids idolize their parents. They idolize them. This happens from birth to about the age of 10, 11, 12. Maybe you can milk an extra year or two from there. They just think you're the best thing. Dad, you are Superman. Moms, you are Wonder Woman. They love to have you around all the time, and they brag on you, and they have little fights with their friends about whose mom or whose dad is the best. I remember one time I was listening at the window, and Mackenzie had a couple of friends over there playing in the backyard, and one of the friends said, hey, uh, my dad's better than your dad because my dad knows the mayor. And the other kid said, well, that's nothing. My dad knows the governor. And I thought, oh, Mackenzie, you are in serious trouble right now because I don't know the mayor. I don't know the governor. Mackenzie, without missing a beat, looked right at him and said, well, that's nothing. My dad knows God. I said, kids, we have a winner and you are not it. Do you understand? Uh, that's awesome. They would just brag on you all the time. They were always excited. Your kids were during this stage to have you come over for lunch at school. They would brag on you and introduce you all around. Oh, if that stage could last forever. But that little sinner gets worse, doesn't it? So we get to stage number two, and that's when they demoralize us. Yeah, they demoralize us. One day you wake up to realize that you're stupid. You didn't know that before, but your child looks at you like you are. And overnight, your kid became the most intelligent person on the face of the earth. They don't want any advice. They don't need any help. They will figure it out themselves. And every time you ask them to do something, they roll their eyes and they gasp like they're having their very last breath of life. And they don't want you around anymore, do they? Oh, no, you drop them off at school. Their one rule is, is don't say anything or do anything to embarrass me. They don't even want to ride in the car with you. Whenever my kids would say, don't say anything or do anything to embarrass me, it was like game on at that point. You know what I mean? But they're, you know, they don't want you around. They slither down the back seat when they see a friend because they don't want to be associated with you. You went from a hero to a zero. And somewhere during this time, we get into phase number three. That's where your kids begin to utilize you. All you are is a walking ATM machine. That's all you are. Because the only time they want anything to do with you is when they want something from you. Oh, anyway, they want some help with homework. Hey, will you help me with my math? Hey, will you, will you help me with this paper that I'm writing? That, that means they want you to write the paper for them. You figure that out, right? Hey, hey, will you give me some money? I'm going out with my friends. Will you give me some gas money? That's like asking me for a $100 bill. You see how expensive gas is right now? Asking me for money, walking around, taking money. All the time, they utilize us. Finally, they get to stage four. They, they grow up, they get married, they have kids of their own, and they humanize us. They look back and they say, oh, man, mom and dad tried. And they remember, unfortunately, all the mistakes you make. Those little sinners never forget anything, do they? They just remember everything. And, 
And sometimes they'll look back and sometimes they might throw it in your face. But for the most part, they just say, you know, my mom and dad, they tried. Because why? Because they have kids of their own. And they know that they're in over their head just like mom and dad were in over their head. And somewhere along this time, the oxygen returns to the child's brain. And all of a sudden, mom and dad become the smartest people on the face of the earth. And they're asking you for all kinds of wisdom, asking you for all kinds of advice. That's the stage that Christy and I find ourselves in right now. Our kids are all growing up. They're all getting to that point where they're going off and doing their own thing, getting married, having kids of their own. And we become very intelligent people overnight. Now, now some of you aren't in that stage. You're in some of the earlier stages. Here's my advice to you. Just hang in there. It gets better over time. Let me give you the best rule of thumb I know about parenting. You ready for this? When your kids are doing well, don't take all the credit. Okay? When your kids are doing well, don't take all the credit. And when they're doing poorly, don't you dare take all the blame. At the end of the day, your kids are individuals. They have choices that they have to make. They've got their one shot at life. All you can do is guide them and lead them. That's all you can do. That they have to choose what path they're going to take. The Bible says in Proverbs that we're supposed to train up our children in the ways of the Lord. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, what in the world does that mean? It means you train up your child in the natural bent that God has placed your child. Every one of your kids is different. Haven't you recognized that? And the way you parent one child doesn't work for another child. So you have to study that child and figure out the way that you can lead them and the way that you can bring them up. And you teach them the ways of the Lord. And when they're old, they won't depart from it. Now, I know some parents that are very frustrated and discouraged with that passage of Scripture because they say, Todd, I did that. I studied my child. I tried to parent my child the best I could. I brought them to church. I tried to teach them the ways and teachings of the Lord, and they don't care a thing about it. And I thought God promised me that when they were old, they wouldn't depart from it. Let me explain something to you. This is a proverb. The book of Proverbs is not promises. The book of Proverbs is principles. The writer is saying, for the most part, usually, generally speaking, this is the way it works. You train up a child in the way of the Lord, and when he's old, he won't depart from it most of the time. But, of course, there's those exceptions, and we see those all in the Bible, don't we? There are godly parents that have absolutely ungodly kids, and, and there are ungodly parents that end up with godly kids. So all you can do is the best that you can do, and you need to realize that you're going to make some mistakes along the way. I, I read about a dad this past week. He got involved in his daughter's love life. She was falling deeply in love with this guy, and she wanted to marry him. In fact, they were engaged. Well, he got so involved in the relationship that they broke up because of his interference. Well, he began to feel bad for what he had done, and so he wrote a letter to the guy that she broke up with. This is what the letter said. Dear Viper, I've been, I've been unable to sleep since I broke off your engagement to my daughter. Will you forgive and forget? I was much too sensitive about your mohawk and your pierced nose. I, I now realize motorcycles aren't really that dangerous, and I shouldn't have reacted that way that I did that when I found out that you've never once held a job. Sure, you know, my daughter's only 18 and wants to marry you instead of going to Harvard on a full scholarship, but after all, you can't learn everything about life from books. I sometimes forget how backwards I can be. I was wrong. I was a fool. I've now come to my senses. You have my full blessing to marry my daughter. Sincerely, your future father-in-law. P.S. Congrats on winning this week's lottery. <laughs> You're going to make some parenting mistakes along the way. So let's talk about the four big ones. 
Uh, you're going to make some bad mistakes. It's just the way it is. Nobody's perfect. But these are the four things that you want to make certain that you don't make a mistake in. Are you ready for this? Write this down if you're taking notes. Number one is don't make the mistake of not monitoring your kids' media. Don't make the mistake of not monitoring your kids' media. I can't even tell you the number of parents who don't see it as being a big deal. What they look at on the TikTok and the Facebook and the Instagram, they don't think that's a big deal. What they watch on TV, the movies that they see, they just don't see that as a big deal. But the Bible says that is a big deal. In fact, the Bible says this, as a man thinks, so is he. What gets our attention is what gets us. And you've heard the old statement, garbage in is garbage out. Did you know that the average sixth grader has seen over 100,000 acts of violence on TV? And that doesn't even include the video games that we allow some of our kids to play. By the time a child reaches their senior year of high school, they will have witnessed 20,000 murders. And if you're streaming your TV shows on Netflix and Hulu and whatever other streaming service there is, it seems like anything goes on those, doesn't it? The filthy language, the, the, the innuendos of sex, the just all-out sex that you see there. There are more teenagers being portrayed as having sex than there ever has been before. There's more people hopping in bed with somebody else than ever has before. And all these TV shows and all these movies, for the most part, they're saying things that are directly contrary to the Word of God. They're, they're showing situations and scenarios, and they're handling life in a completely different manner than how God tells us to handle our life. And it's getting through to them, isn't it? This, this information is penetrating their hearts and their souls. There was a mom, she was, she was reading a book to her child. The child was about four years old. She was showing them different animals in the book and asking the little girl what the animal said. So she showed a picture of a cow. She said, this is a cow. What's a cow say? The little girl said, moo. Mom said, that's right. You're so smart. She turned the page and there was a dog. She said, it's a dog. What's the doggy say? And the little girl said, woo, woo. She said, that's right, you're so smart. Turned the page and there was a kitty cat. She said, that's a kitty cat. What's the kitty cat say? Little girl said, meow, meow. She said, oh, that's right, that's so good. Next page was a frog. She said, what's the frog say? Little girl said, bud. Wise. Err. It gets, it gets through, doesn't it? Now, that's, that's just TV and movies and commercials and things like that. I mean, what about music, too? Parents don't even pay attention to the music. You, you looked at the iTunes store lately or the Spotify stuff and all the explicit things that are going, and your kids put their headphones on, they're listening to this stuff 24-7, and they say, well, music doesn't affect me. Music doesn't bother. Are you sure about that? I've seen kids that listen to stuff. It, it does affect them. It, it does change their attitude because as a man thinks, so is he. Let, let, let me give you a popular song. I just read the lyric to you, okay? This is, this is one. Maybe you've heard this song before. I'll just read a couple of lyrics to you. Every time I hear this song, I feel stupider, okay? And that's not even a word. So you understand what I'm saying when I say that. Listen to this lyric. Uh, don't need no Tesla to impress her. My girl is happy rolling on a Vespa. Don't need no mansion to get romancing. She's super fine, double wide, slow dancing. But every now and then when I get paid, I got to spoil my baby with an upgrade. I, I, I. I just feel stupid, you know? 
Yeah, we're fancy like Applebee's on a date night. Got that Bourbon Street steak with the Oreo shake. Got some whipped cream on the top, too. Two straws, one check. Girl, I got you. Seriously? I couldn't even read the whole song. That was the good part. You say, Todd, there's worse songs on the radio. I couldn't come up with one, to be honest with you, because I hate that song so much. My wife plays that song all the time. Now, obviously, there are more explicit songs. There are more obscene songs. But have you read the lyrics of some of the stuff you sing? Some of the stuff that you listen to? I remember when Mackenzie was about five years old. I came home from work. And she ran up to me. My wife is a big Shania Twain fan. She started singing the song, Honey, I'm home and I had a hard day. Pour me a cold one. And oh, by the way, and I'm thinking, five years old, you want me to pour her a cold one? What in the world's going on? That's messed up stuff. You say, well, Todd, what, 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 what do you want me to do? Are you kidding me right now? Are you kidding me right now, Todd? How am I supposed to take care of this? Do you want me to throw my TV away? Do you want me to take away their smartphone devices? Is that what you want me to do? Do you want me to get rip the headphones out of their ears? No, I'm not asking you to do any of that. I'm asking you to teach your kids to discern. To discern between what is good and what is best. Between what is right and what is wrong. I'm trying to get you to get your kids to get to the point where they watch a television show and they say, now wait a second, those people are trying to hurt each other. Those people are holding a grudge against each other. What does God's word say? Because God's word says I'm supposed to forgive in the same way that I've been forgiven. That I'm not supposed to hold on to that stuff. I'm not supposed to be full of rage and anger and bitterness. I'm listening to this song, and this song is saying do this and do that. Is that what God would have me do? We've got to teach our kids to discern these types of things. I try to give my kids, this is how I tried to raise them when it came to, to multimedia. And there's more stuff hitting your kids right now than ever before. And you've got to engage yourself in this. I'd always say, I'd say, does it pass the Philippians 4, 8 test? And here's what Philippians 4, 8 says. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's noble, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So we would sit down and we would talk about the show. We would sit down and we would read the lyrics. And I'd say, what are they trying to say here? Is that something that you could see Jesus singing to? Is it true? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it praiseworthy? And if it's not, let's not feed our brain that kind of garbage because garbage in is garbage out. Let me give you a second one that parents make the mistake on. Parents don't know their kids' friends and their, and their kids' friends' families. I hate to tell you this, and you probably already know it, but the biggest influence on your kids during the teenage years isn't you. It is their friends. And and if you don't know what their friends are involved in, it could be that your child will be led astray because they're more of an influence, uh, er, er, be an influence E than an influencer. Think about this. We all get influenced by other people, don't we? How do you know where to get your hair cut? How do you know where a cute outfit is? How do you know if a movie is good or not? How do you know if a good restaurant is, is delicious and what, what, what kind of things should you order when you get there? What are the best things? You, we take all that information and we learn that from our friends, don't we? We become like the people we hang around with. And there's an old saying that says, he who runs with dogs eventually gets fleas. 
So you got to be careful. you got to be discerning and say, what do I know about the kids that my kids are hanging around with? Are they seeking after the things of God? Are they going after some great pursuit? Do they love the Lord their God with all their heart, all their soul, and all their mind, and all their strength? Because some of you think that you're good when it comes to friends because their friends are over in the student ministry. Let me tell you something, friends. There's a bunch of jacked up kids in our student ministry. And, and, they, and if you don't know them, you don't know their families, you don't know what their goals are, what their hopes are, what their love is, I'm telling you, they can lead your child astray. And, and you don't want that to happen. Every one of us is influenced by somebody else. That's just the way it works. There, there was a girl, she was walking through the hallways of her middle school classroom. And uh, she had on one red sock, she had on one blue sock. The principal stopped her and said, hey, what's the deal? We've got a red sock and a blue sock. What's going on with you? She said, well, I, I like to be an individualist. And it's okay for me to have my own kind of wardrobe, my own kind of style. And then she said this, and oh, by the way, all the other kids are doing it too. Now, that, that right there summarizes the mindset of a middle schooler, doesn't it? We all have this desire to fit in. We all have this desire to be accepted. When I was in middle school, high school, uh, Preppy was in. Remember Preppy? Some of you old-timers remember Preppy. You popped the collar, right, on the Izod shirt. You remember that? I wanted to pop the collar. I wanted to be a preppy too. Problem for me was those Izod shirts were very, very expensive. Couldn't afford the alligator. Went to my mom and dad. We didn't make a lot of money. My mom and dad said, we're not going to pay that much money for an Izod shirt with an alligator. I was devastated because I couldn't pop my collar and be like all the other kids. I felt like an outsider to that. Well, my mom saw what that did to me. So one day she was shopping at the mall and she stopped at Sears where America used to shop for fashion, right? That's where you went, Sears. <laughs> That's where my mom went. And she picked up some, some shirts, some polo shirts, but they didn't have the alligator. They had a fox on them. And my mom was so excited because she found a similar shirt, like a knockoff shirt to the eyes of, with a fox. And she handed me this shirt, and she said, I got you this shirt. And I said, Mom, it's a fox on the shirt. It's not an alligator. She said, I got that for you because you're a fox. That's not something you want to hear from your mom. You understand what I'm saying? That's messed up. Well, why do you think kids start drinking beer or go get drunk? Do you think they go out and do that by themselves? I don't think there's ever been a child, a teenager, who's ever gone off and gotten drunk by themselves or tried alcohol by themselves. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think a kid woke up one day and said, no, oh, I think I'm just going to go have a beer by myself. I don't think that happens. You know what I think happens? I think somebody influences them. I think somebody says, hey, let's, come on, let's just try this out. Let's go do this. This will be a lot of fun. And they want to fit in. They want to be a part. They're so insecure. I think that's how kids become drug addicts. And, and try this. This won't hurt you. This will, this will help you, man. It will relax you. Smoke this. I don't think any kid wakes up and goes, yeah, I think I'll have a joint today. No, I don't think that happens. I think there's somebody in their sphere of influence who has this kind of stuff, and they get invaded in your kid's life, and because they'd rather be the influencee rather than the influencer, they get influenced to do that kind of stuff. So you better know who they are. Proverbs 13, verse 20 says this. He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Let me give you another verse, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Don't be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Let me give you a bonus on this one. 
Parents, there should never be a time you can't see your child's phone. If your child ever says to you, you can't see my phone, that's my phone, that's my own personal business, that means that there's something going on on that phone that they don't want you to see and your child is heading for trouble. Your child's going to end up in a place that you never wanted them to be, a place that they never wanted to be, and they're going to pay unbelievable consequences for what they're doing. There should never be a time you can't check their text messages. There should never be a time you can't check to see who they're talking to, who they're emailing back and forth, who they're making phone calls to back and forth. Never should be a time you can't check their social media. You should hold your child accountable. You say, well, if I do that, I won't be very popular. Well, let me ask you a question. Are you a parent or are you their friend? Because God placed you in their life to be their parent, not their friend. That comes later when they're like 50, you know, then you become their friend, all right? Let me give you the third one. Parents refuse to have the hard conversations with their kids. This one cracks me up. Uh, I used to do a lot of premarital counseling when the church was smaller. I don't do it much anymore. And so... uh, uh, people would come in, they would take this, t- this test that we would have them take for premarital counseling. And one of the questions was, like, parents were comfortable talking to me about sex. Now, I've married hundreds of couples. <laughs> and all the test results that we've gotten, I've never had one where someone said yes. That their parents were comfortable talking to them about sex. So I said, well, I see here that your parents weren't comfortable talking to you about sex. They said, yeah, that's right. And I said, well, do you have any questions? See, you get it. And they say, no, don't have any questions at all. I said, you no questions at all? Because your parents didn't teach you about sex, so probably have some questions. No, we're good. Let me ask you something. How did you learn about sex? Well, I learned it from movies and TV and from my friends. Parents, can I ask you a question? Why isn't your voice in that? Can I tell you something? TV, movies, their friends are never going to pull your child aside and say, you know what? Sex is a beautiful gift that God has given us in the confines of marriage. You're never going to have another 16-year-old kid ever say that to your son. Or do you, you understand that, right? You're never going to have a friend or the movies or TV say, you know what? Sex is this beautiful thing that God's given us as a gift in the confines of marriage. And it's a sacred act. It's a beautiful thing. It's not just the coming together physically of two people. It's the coming together of two souls. Of two spirits. Where are they going to learn that? If you won't teach it to them. If you won't talk to them about it. Let me tell you something about your kids. About my kids. They all have questions. Shouldn't they feel comfortable coming to you to talk to you about anything? And some of us are so uncomfortable with this. Oh, I'm just so uncomfortable with this. I get that. First time I talked to my kids about sex, it was uncomfortable. Here's what I found to be true. You ready for this? (laughs) The more you talk about it with them the uncomfortableness kind of goes away. And all of a sudden, they just come to you and they bring their questions to you because they know they're not going to be, oh, I can't believe you got that question. No, they, they, we can talk about it. We can, we can show them what God's word has to say about the question that they've got. I mean, are, are you going to sit back as a parent? Are we going to sit back as parents and let uh, uh, the, the media tell our kids what to believe? Are we going to sit back as parents and let their friendships tell them what it is that's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's best and what's holy? No, we've got to get our our voices in these conversations. Questions like this. What type of music is appropriate? 
What should a person look for in someone they date? Is it okay for me to have a beer? What about drugs? My goodness, in the world that we live in today, there are so many questions that your kids have. And if they don't feel like they can come talk to you, where are they getting the information from? No wonder this generation of kids is so jacked up. They're listening to what the media has to say and what their friends have to say while their parents remain silent. In every situation, what, the question that I've tried to pound into my kids' heads is this. What is the wise thing to do here? What's the wise thing to do when it comes to sex? What's the wise thing to do when it comes to music? What's the wise thing to do when it comes to relationships? What's the wise thing to do? And the more we talk about those types of things, the more the kids begin to understand and they begin to discern what's really going on. The Bible says this in Ephesians 5, 15, and 16. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let me give you the fourth mistake parents make. We don't encourage our kids in their relationship with God. One of the biggest mistakes I see parents make is they, is they make church kind of, if you want to come, you can come. And they say things like this. They say, well, I don't want to shove my beliefs on my child. I don't want to push Jesus down their throat. So sounds good, doesn't it? Here's the problem with that line of thought. Uh, we don't live in a value-free society. And so now you're saying your own beliefs and what you hold dear, you won't pass those on to your kids, even though you claim that it's the most important thing that's ever happened in your life. Even though we claim that Jesus has changed our life, but we don't want to talk about it with our kids. The greatest thing that's ever happened to us, well, you kids, you figure it out yourself, because I don't want to shove that down your throat. I don't want to force you to do anything that you don't want to do. Man, my parents were completely different. They, they drug me to church all the time. Week after week, they drug me there and they drug me here. I had a drug problem growing up as a kid. They just drug me everywhere. That's what they did. My dad would look at us and he'd say, as long as you're eating my food and wearing the clothes that I put on your back and sleeping in the bed that I provided for you, you will go to church. Why? Because there were things being discussed in church that were not discussed anyplace else. And the Bible says where two or more are gathered together, that he is there in the midst of them. And you just never know when God's Holy Spirit will get a hold of your child and they'll have a real encounter with a real God and it will change the whole trajectory of the rest of their life. But if you make it optional and they're in bed, that encounter is never going to happen. Psalm 78, verse 3 says, Stories we've heard from our fathers, counsel we learned at our mother's knee. We're not keeping this to ourselves. We're passing it along to the next generation. God's fame and fortune, the marvelous things that he has done. So our job is to pass our love for God onto our children. Now, my mom was really good at this. Uh, when I was a teenager, about 15 years old, in my Sunday school class, we were going to study the book of Revelation. Every teenager wants to study the book of Revelation. They want to know, hey, when is the second coming of Jesus? You know, they're always nervous about it. They're like, I hope he doesn't come back soon because I want to drive. Or I hope he doesn't come back soon because I want to get married and have sex. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, kids are very selfish, you know. Like, uh, greatest event in human history is going to happen. Uh, can we hold that off? I want to drive my car. Okay, so it's a little weird, the priorities of that. But I, I was very interested in the book of Revelation. So I said to my mom, I said, will you read this book with me? And she said, I'd be glad to. 
So we sat down and we read Revelation chapter 1. And I said, okay, mom, uh, we read that. Explain it to me. You ever read Revelation chapter 1? <laughs> hey, mom, give me a shot. What, what do you got? What, give me the, uh, the, the 411 on that one. She said, I have no clue. I, I, don't know what that, I don't know what that was about. That was crazy right there. I don't know what to tell you. I said, okay, that's not very helpful. I said, well, what, what should we do? Well, my mom was humble enough to call my pastor and say, hey, I'm going through the book of Revelation with my son, and we read the first chapter. I don't have a clue what it means. Any resources you can give me? He said, go get a Haley's Bible handbook. It's a nice little handbook that kind of goes chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible. And he says, well, if you just read, read the passage and read a little bit of the handbook, and then it'll make a little more sense. It won't make complete sense, but it'll make a little more sense to you. So that's what we did for three months. Never missed a night. And there were questions that the book didn't answer, questions that my mom couldn't answer. That was okay. My mom showed me that she loved God's word. And because she loved God's word so much, I fell in love with God's word as well. A few years ago, I wrote some devotionals and I put them in a little spiral book and we passed them out to all the teenagers. And we said, you know, it'd be great if the parents would get with their kids and they would do the devotionals with them. So we sent emails out and reminders and things like that. Hey, stop by the bookstore, pick up a book. And we've charged you the same amount that it was for the paper and the binding. We didn't make a dime off of it. We just wanted you to get together with your family, read a daily devotion. Can we get your kid to read the word of God every day, pray every day? Man, that, that's the makings of a spiritual champion. So we thought, well, parents ought to be involved in that. Right? We're supposed to raise our kids in the ways and teachings of the Lord. So we'll give you a resource. So we have like 800 kids that come. 30 parents bought a book. That was it. I mean, I couldn't have given an alley-oop for you to slam it down any easier than what I did. And somehow most parents just fumbled that away. Why was that? I, I, only thing I can think of, it's just not a priority to them. I mean, some of us are going to look back with regret because your kids are going to graduate from high school and go off to college, and you have never read one chapter of the Bible together for 18 years. Man, if your kid wants to throw a ball, you're out there fast, aren't you? Your child's involved in the play or the band or singing or some other activity. Boy, you're out there in the stands cheering them on. But when it comes to developing spiritual champions, parents drag their kids to church for one hour, and then they never bring it up ever again. And no wonder our kids don't love the Lord their God with everything that they've got. We're not leading them to it. And that is a tragic mistake. All right, those are the four things. Now, i got to warn you, it's hard to implement these. I mean, if you're watching trash on TV, it's hard to tell your son or daughter to watch, be careful what they watch, right? And this is why most parents don't try these things. I mean, it's difficult to tell your child to be discerning about the music they listen to when you pull up in the driveway blasting, I'm on a highway to hell. It's really hard to tell your child to take Jesus seriously when you yourself, you're not taking Jesus seriously. So all those four things, which one you say, you know what, i got to step up on this. 
I've got to help my child soar. I've got to help my child have a real encounter with a real God who really does care about their life. Let me pray for you. Dear Heavenly Father, help us with this. It's, it's so easy for us to just kind of not have the hard conversation, not deal with the social media and the movies and the TV and the music and all. It's just so easy for us just to say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's so easy for us not to dive into the harder and deeper conversation. so easy to go day after day and never even pick up the Bible and invite our kids to read it with us. Lord, you told us that parenting was never going to be easy. So why in the world are we looking for the easy way? Help us to get involved. Help us to love our kids and to parent them, to lead them, to guide them, to help them through the pitfalls of life, to have the hard conversation so that they might soar, so they might be everything that you hoped they would be. You've entrusted them to our care for such a short amount of time. Help us to be faithful to the task that you've given to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.